Mm-hmm. You kind of think there's one way to do things. And I think as you, it comes with age, but also just experience. I don't like to say like older is necessarily wiser, but just with time, like you get to know yourself. The longer you live in your body, the more you kind of know what you like and you don't like. And then you get to a point where you feel comfortable being very clear about the things you will do, the things you won't do, the things that you like, that you dislike. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Yeah, hello. So my name's Megan. Um, I'm based in London. I'm also from London. Um, And I'm a content creator, and I run the website megfabulous.com, which is travel and lifestyle. So you're from London, but you act like New York is home. Like, let's talk... (laughs) Let's talk about your obsession with New York. I love New York. Um, So I went there when I was 13. That was my first time visiting. I think I've been there about six times now and I'm in my 20s. I've been with friends. I've been with family. I've been year after year. I've been in different months. I've been around Labor Day. It's just my favorite city in the world. Like the vibe, the energy, the people. Yeah. (laughs) So the people, the energy, the vibe, um, you're also really, really into food. Is there anything special about New York food or any restaurants in particular that you just can't get enough of? So I feel like New York is similar to London. I always describe it to people who've never been. New York is like London on drugs in a good way. So like London 10X. So it has the same kind of variety. You can get different cuisines, different cultures, um, I actually tried this really cool meal at a restaurant called Pinch in Soho, Pinch Chinese, and they serve like soup dumplings and they sort of explode in your mouth. And then they do a duck ragu, which is kind of like a Chinese spin on spaghetti bolognese. That was definitely one of the most impressive meals I had during my latest trip. But, I mean, the possibilities are endless. And I think restaurateurs and foodies know that spots like New York and London are really popular so they bring definitely bring their their A game in those cities you also talked about like uh 
uh, and I think if I read this correctly, you talked about eating candy or you were looking for yes. eye candy. At the <laughs> I can't. <laughs> so New York does have eye candy, lots of it. Um. <laughs> but you only want the eye candy that's six foot. Like, let's get this completely straight. Yes. Don't do Anyone out there listening? <laughs> You're not, you're not down for your short kings. You want the tall ones. (laughs) But yeah, so also candy or sweets as we call them in the UK. So we have like these really tough laws on sugar and they've like strips the sugar out of everything. So when I went to New York, I made a point of like buying everything, like Mike Nikes. And I'm sure Americans take these things for granted, but like the sugar rush you get is completely different from anything in the UK. I came back with so many like different candies, carrot cake, Oreos. I had to bring them into the office just for my insanity and health. That is hilarious. So did you share them with the people in the office or you just like had to keep so, yourself yeah. fed? <laughs> so it was a bit of two things. I was like, oh, you know, team player, look really generous, bringing back something for my treats, but also (laughs) (laughs) there was a personal incentive. So I brought in Reese's Buttercups, which we can get here, but they're overpriced. Mm. And the carrot cake Oreos, my team loved the carrot cake Oreos. They were gone (laughs) in like a day. (laughs) Those are like new, didn't they just come out this year, I think? Yes. And I had to like find which store sell them because you can't get them everywhere. So I kept going back. They must have thought I was crazy because I kept going back and buying like more and more. (laughs) Which is like totally conflicting because it seems like you're a gym rat. Like it seems like you stay working out your spin classes, your yoga classes, like you keep it moving. So it's really funny that you are indulging (laughs) in this American sugar food. Yeah, definitely. I like the balance. I'm all about working out, but also I don't like feeling restrictive. So I'm like, you know, if I cook meals at home during the week, you know, have oats for breakfast, then when I go out with my friends, I can enjoy bottomless brunch, you know, good times. (laughs) I love it. So let's talk about, let's talk about sex in the city real quick. So like, what? (laughs) What's going on? Is that also like related to your obsession with New York? I feel like that definitely feels it. So I have been a big fan of Sex and the City. I remember like being young and having to kind of like sneak and watch it um, because it was like way too adult for me. And then I got older and watched it again and again. Like I'm paying for subscriptions to pull out my box set of Sex and the City and just keep watching it. But what was really cool, so in New York, I went to a lot of the landmarks unintentionally and intentionally and because I'm a huge fan it was like oh this is where like Carrie was crying on her birthday and this is where they met up for brunch on this random day so it was I think my personal tour was a lot better than you know the generic one (laughs) so you went on a sex in the city tour yeah so kind of around Greenwich Village bit of Chelsea um some of it was things that I had already planned in my itinerary and then as I kind of walked past certain landmarks I was like oh yeah this was in you know one of the seasons or in the movie or whatever so yeah that was part of my New York obsession they, they probably do have like a full-fledged Sex in the City tour though like capitalism they do. I can't imagine they that you wouldn't mm. 
But from what I've seen, I think they kind of take you to certain places like where she allegedly lived and a few restaurants. But I guess the aim is to get you to kind of buy and stop. But I think for diehard people who've seen like every episode a hundred times, there's loads of other sort of smaller landmarks that yeah. might not be on. The- so it's more like the big like the insider. Yeah, I guess. The true yeah, fans, so you know- the, the diehard fans. Yeah, so the landmarks, for example, there's a restaurant, a famous restaurant where Carrie finds out Big's married. And it's kind of a small thing that's featured, but it's a big part of the the episode. I, maybe the tour doesn't go there, but for anyone who's like a fan, they'll be like, oh my God, this restaurant. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so tell me, what about Sex in the City speaks to you? So yeah, it was like taboo when you were younger. But yeah as an adult you have you've sought it out and pay for subscriptions what about these four characters (laughs) what about these four tiny white women (laughs) american white women like moves you not that it shouldn't i'm just asking no yeah so i think it's just so i think all four characters have their own personality traits and as I've watched it several times I've grown to really love for example Miranda's sarcasm and wit she has like a really great character and Charlotte you know the hopeless romantic Samantha is the coolest because she's just like about her career she's driven Carrie makes poor decisions and it is like irritating to watch every time that's just yeah there's just something really comforting about it and they do touch on some really cool issues, um, health, uh, with Samantha gets cancer in season six and, you know, all these different relationship things. But I guess it's just lighthearted entertainment, has those quotable moments, the fashion, lots of fashion and glamour. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, a bit really of escapism. Cool. <laughs> a bit of escapism, you said. Yeah. Uh, what, um, what character do you most identify with and why? So I think I see a lot of Charlotte in myself because she's, bless her, like she's just always very optimistic. Um, but according to the, one of the online tests, I kind of sway between Charlotte and Carrie. But Carrie is a mess, so <laughs> I prefer Charlotte, yeah. What? So it seems like you get around quite a bit of New York, like you make your way to the different parts, the different boroughs. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular part of New York that that you love? So I like Brooklyn. In terms of the boroughs, it's very cliche, but I've stayed in a few different parts. Um, so Carroll Gardens is like really cute. I stayed in Crown Heights one year for Labor Day and like the vibe was really cool. And I've been to like the Labor Day parade and some of the like different like West Indian parties and things like that. So in terms of like the outer bars, Brooklyn's my favorite. But I also love Manhattan. I think it's especially like the downtown part and Soho because it's just really cool and edgy. So yeah, anywhere kind of downtown, lower Manhattan and Brooklyn, definitely my favorite parts. So let me ask about like where travel began to play a part in your life. Like, did you come from a traveling family? So for me, it started as a kid being sent to the Caribbean in summer to spend my summers there. And as a child, I was like, oh, but all my friends are in London. And, you know, I didn't really appreciate it. But I got there. I had fun. But it was just the idea of being like taken away 
from London and all your friends and going to like climb trees with your cousin cousins sorry um so yeah that's when it started for me as a child it didn't really feel like a thing it was just a routine or something that we did and then as I got a bit older um my mum would take us to different places and that's when we started moving into like Asia uh Europe and so it's just always been ingrained in me and actually as I became an adult and able to fund my own travels I just continued and just kept doing it it's just so much of a norm to me I just like I have to you know, at least do one trip a year. Mm-hmm. But you don't typically travel in Europe. Yes, well spotted. <laughs> <laughs> why Why is so that? I, mm-hmm. I think that's because, um, like I said, as a child, it was always long haul trips. And so traveling to Europe just never crossed my mind. And I always say I'm going to do it. I'm like, next year, next year, next year. Because it is very accessible. I can go my weekend based in London. You have the budget airlines. So there's no real reason why I don't go. I think I kind of plan to do so. And then this really cool, shiny destination on the other side of the world with like fancy beaches and jungles catches my eye. And I'm like, oh, let me go there instead. And I think one thing as well, if you don't do the budget options in Europe, it can become quite pricey, especially if you want to go in summer where Europeans are also traveling in Europe and doing their holidays there. It can be expensive. And then I'm like, oh, if I add a bit more to the budget, I can go further afield. And that's what ends up happening. That just sounds like good math. (laughs) But I would like to see more of Europe. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, they just talk about. I, guess it, <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose it depends on, um, like you said, where you're going in Europe, because uh, some some places seem quite reasonable when it comes to the price, especially with the flights being so cheap. Like I think out of the world, flights are the cheapest in Europe. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. They're not even that cheap in Asia, like not consistently, but they seem like consistently cheap. I think London has slightly higher taxes when you leave from London airports, but definitely European airports, the the taxes I think are very low, which makes the cheap flights really cheap. Mm -hmm. I went to Berlin last year. That was incredibly cheap in terms of I went solo and like flight and hotels, reasonable. Spending money there was really cheap. Um, I'm trying to think where else I've gone. Stockholm is gorgeous, but a lot more expensive. It's kind of like London prices, maybe even higher. So that was more of a pricey destination. But yes, I think that depending on which city you go to, and I think a lot of the Eastern European countries are also quite affordable. And uh, Berlin, that was your first solo trip, is that right? It was, it was. How did you enjoy it? I really loved it. So what... It was such an amazing trip. First of all, I nearly missed my flight because I was flying on my own. I overslept my alarm. (laughs) So I made it to the airport and I got stopped at security. And I was like, oh, great. Because I thought I'll go behind like the speedy travelers, the people who are like really switched on that have their belts off already. And then they stopped (laughs) me and they searched my hair. Mm. And I was just like, and so I didn't make a fuss because I see lots of like tweets and stuff where people like, cause the fuss and I was look I have 40 minutes to get to the gate if you need to pat down my hair like do whatever it is you need to do because I need to get on this flight and so it was okay in the end 
And then I arrived in Berlin and I was just like, oh my God, I'm on my own. Like, what am I doing? And then it took me a couple of hours to kind of get used to being on my own. And I realized it wasn't being on my own that was scary. It was walking around without headphones. Because in London, I do lots of things on my own. Like, it's, it's where I live. I go to run errands. I go shopping on my own. So it's not being on my own that was scary. But the lack of headphones made me super aware. So after three, four hours, I was like, okay, I'm adjusted. And then I booked my next long haul trip, like the moment I got home. Wow, that's amazing. That's such a good experience. <laughs> um, I love the saying, like, yeah, I'm a big fan of solo travel. I always encourage people to try it because it's, it's so good. So was there anything in particular, like about that trip that stuck with you aside from like the awareness of being without headphones in a, a new place by yourself? Yeah, um, it was it was really, I think it was a good choice for solo travel the first time because it's an easy city to navigate. Um, in that four hours, I've kind of figured out how to use the S-Bahn and the U-Bahn trains and the, everything's like that and how to, you know, say a few basic phrases. Everyone speaks English, so I mostly just spoke in English. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just realizing that I was okay on my own if I ran into difficulties, I could navigate through that. It just built my confidence and it became less scary. And even something as simple as I wanted to go out for dinner really late. And rather than being afraid to do so, I was like, I'll just take an Uber because I'd feel safer doing that. And then it let me do the things I wanted to do without being afraid. So yeah, that was the main thing, just how easy and comfortable it felt. So I'm so glad I chose that as my first solo destination. And you said you've taken plenty of trips after that by yourself. Yeah. So the next big one after that was Singapore and Bali. That was, it was meant to just be Bali. It was like the eat, pray, love Bali thing. And then I was like, oh, let me go to Singapore because it's nearby. And I was planning to fly Singapore Air. So I was going to stop in Singapore anyway. I just extended that leg of the trip. That was amazing. Although I got scared the night before. <laughs> Why? So I just had this last minute thing of like, I'm going to the other side of the world. Like I'm going to the Southern Hemisphere. It's 16 hours away. I'm going, I think I went for 12 days, which is a really long time. To, and I was like, I'm going to be on my own. What if I don't like it? And so I literally had this like breakdown the day before. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to miss everybody. And then I got to the airport. As soon as I got into the airport, I was like, okay, I'm fine. Because it feels so <laughs> several times before, even meeting friends that like sometimes we get on different flights. So once I'm in the airport, I feel very comfortable. So I was like, okay, I've got this. <laughs> um, how does your family feel about you traveling? They support it. Yeah. So I guess we are a family of travelers. So they're kind of solo travel. When I told my mum, I was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to like Singapore and Bali. She's like, you're what? With who? And I was just like, yeah, just on my own. I think she probably thought I was crazy. Um, but in general, in traveling, yeah, they're definitely very supportive. And I think now they're kind of used to me going solo. So when I went to New York, um, the end of August, beginning of September, I was just like, oh, by the way, I'm going to New York for the weekend, you know, on my own, like no biggie. So yeah. In fact, they kind of like, when I go to different places and I come back and report, they're like, oh, you know, I never thought of traveling there. Then they start telling like their friends and other family members, oh, Megan went here and she did this. And, you know, she recommends this country. (laughs) 
So they start bragging about your travels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have the brave ones. She's going out into the world. <laughs> yes. Um, you are also like really into skincare, right? I am. I so, am. That is my guilty pleasure. <laughs> guilty pleasure. That's an. It can be an expensive treasure. Uh, pleasure. Oh my. Gosh. Oh yes. <laughs> um. But you don't you don't blog about that yet. So I thought about it because I went through. I've tried a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, but I'm always also conscious of if I get into the process of reviewing and sharing things that I'm going to be eventually said things, and I'll just be in this cycle because I try to be quite minimalist. I'm not very good at it, but I try to not have more things than I need. And so every, when I look at my skincare, I did a big clear out a few months ago. Um, and I just was like, I have too many things. Like I have five different products that all do the same thing. And that's just too much. I'm trying to cut back and have a one in one app policy, but I do love skincare. So I've just basically shifted to getting treatments now. So rather than buying things, I just spend the money on treatments. <laughs> oh, I see. So, okay. I see. Got to get my fix somehow. <laughs> And your skin is absolutely glowing. Um, Thank you. Are there, yes, of course. <laughs> are there any, um, any products in particular? Or it seems like you are very brand aware. Are there any brands or any specific products from a brand that you would recommend for, I don't know, just like maintenance to help with texture and... I don't know, exfoliation. So it's not a brand, but one of the best things for texture and glowing skin is honestly going to get a chemical pill. I go to a doctor because I've gone to a beautician before, but having like a, a diab or anyone who's medically qualified do it, amazing results. Like the next day you'll look at your skin and you'll be like, I feel like I look like a celebrity because you can't see pores, anything. I'm like, this is their secret in getting treatments. So that's one thing I would recommend. Sunscreen. I am a big believer in sunscreen. Black women, black men, black children, like it does like we should be wearing sunscreen. And I think especially if you're going to start using exfoliants, any kind of like retinoids, those sort of treatments, you need to protect your skin. So I will scream it from the rooftops that sunscreen is for us every single day on the beach, reapply. Like and I know that for us, um, the white cast that it leaves on your skin is the biggest fear. So there's a few that I've tried. I personally use um, Anthelios by La Roche-Posay. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that French name, but they're really good. Um, doesn't leave a white cast, blends into the skin seamlessly. So that I use it on the face. They do body products as well. And they do different formulas like creams, mists, lotions. Yes. Those are like two things I definitely recommend. And also a good retinoid. Um, I like differing, but a good retinoid as well. That will cure like 90% of your skin problems. What is a retinoid? Yeah. Um, so the best way to describe it um, is it's a product that's used. So it's a vitamin A derivative and it turns over the skin cells. So it's like, enhances cell turnover so the 28 day period it kind of speeds that up and so it really helps with like texture hyperpigmentation um 
just everything. Um, so Differin specifically is good at preventing acne. So yeah, it, I don't think there's anything it can't cure. And quite often you'll hear like dermatologists or skincare professionals say like, if you have to use like one thing, that would be what they'd recommend every time. Excellent recommendation. Retinoid, chemical peels. Yes. And you girls get your sunblock on. Yes. <laughs> You're also a tea lover. Um, yes, I am. What I'm are drinking tea right now. <laughs> <laughs> true to brand, true to brand. Yes. <laughs> what are some of your favorite teas? Okay, so every morning I have a green tea without fail every single morning. Um, I also like peppermint tea, um, lemon and ginger. I don't think black teas. I quite like loose leaf tea. I have tea in the office, tea at home. I've got a mixture of loose leaf and tea bag. If you can get hold of loose leaf tea, it is absolutely amazing. And I, you get these mini strainers that you can just like pop in your cup and then you can get maybe like two or three cups out of it. And I would just like refill and top up. But yeah, tea is a must. Is there something about like the ritual of it or the taste of it? Like what does tea do for you? So part of it, I think, is coming from a West Indian family where tea is believed to cure everything. <laughs> like it's always the suggestion for everything. As a child, it was always like you have to have your tea or some kind of hot drink first thing in the morning. And But as an as like an adult and so it's been ingrained into me but as an adult I think I just like the soothingness like it's calming it's relaxing it's warming I just yeah there's always an occasion for tea always breakfast after lunch nighttime yeah you tea. also said that <laughs> tea was like a low stakes way for you to um I don't know bond with your co-workers <laughs> in an office politicky kind yeah. of way <laughs> yeah so it is a very tea is, well okay english tea is kind of more of a british thing than the mint teas it's not as popular here but yeah like people will go and like oh do you want a cup of tea like let me make you a cup of tea or um to be honest i don't really get into the making or having tea made for me but i'll like see people in the kitchen and we'll pour a cup of tea and then we'll just sit around and chat Oh, you know, like, let's grab coffee, let's grab a tea. And it just becomes a point of like, yeah, something to bond over and sit down and enjoy together. But you, you were saying that um, you would go for tea with them and just be like, mm -hmm. oh, really? <laughs> so it's like, you don't really, it seems like you don't really get personal <laughs> with your coworkers like that. Yeah, I think there's such a thing as oversharing. So I do talk <laughs> about certain things and interests, but not too personal so for example I'd go on holiday and talk about the food the culture tours but then I wouldn't share that I went out and got drunk or I was like clubbing or anything like that so I'd kind of like share parts of it because I think it is important to be social um and also to bond with people because you're with them like 40 40 plus hours a week but I'm just always conscious that I kind of share things I share things that I wouldn't care if they sent around the office like oh you know Megan really enjoys rock climbing like there's nothing kind of inflammatory about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and for the record I've never been rock climbing <laughs> <laughs> just to go ahead and stamp that rumor out <laughs> oversharing so who do you overshare with then uh probably my friends my closest friends yeah 
Yeah, I, I guess nothing's off limits and also all kinds of like jokes and things like that. And I suppose with long, especially long standing friendships, your friends have seen you at all different points, you know, like the time that maybe someone overdrank or, you know, just all the crazy moments that you share. Are these your carnival friends as well? Oh, yeah, definitely shared, shared very close bonds <laughs> with them. <laughs> And I suppose, like, I have a persona. Someone once called, like, Carnival Meg when they saw me in a costume, I guess, like, naming my alter, Carnival alter ego because they're, like, you're so different in that space than when they see me at any other time. I mean, for good reason as well. Um, but, yeah, Carnival Meg. <laughs> now, when you were um, taking your trips back to the Caribbean, uh, mm-hmm. were you going to a specific island, by the way? Yeah, so between Jamaica and Dominica, where my family are from, oh. and because you can't fly directly to Dominica from the UK, we'd probably stop somewhere like Antigua, Barbados, St. Lucia for like a few days and then continue traveling. Um, were you going to Carnival? Because it's like a, a family thing. It's a big celebration of the, the heritage and the culture. So, so were you celebrating Carnival from like tiny so I didn't participate as a kid. It was always kind of like there, I guess. And as a teenager, when I was like going to potentially start participating, I was a little bit nervous about the costume. I was like, oh, I don't know about like getting into costume, which when I look back at, I laugh now considering how much I love it and how comfortable I feel wearing costumes. So it was kind of interesting. I think I got into playing mass a lot later. So in my twenties, rather than as a teen, I, like lots of my friends I know would have been like in kiddie costumes and then just continued throughout their life. But I definitely got into it a lot later. And also when I was paying for it. <laughs> and like carnival is like an investment, like those costumes, like I saw a few of yours and they look so decadent, like, they look like a whole lot of time and energy was spent on them. Yes, I've not participated. So in the UK, in London in particular, you can go to the mass camps and actually make help make the costumes. I've never done that. I always say I'm terrified of the glue gun burns, but like teams of people will spend like hours. They'll be there like doing all nighters, like making the costumes and the lead up to carnival. So a lot goes into it. And it shows as well. There's some bands that have like amazing costumes and the detailing and things don't fall off. There's a lot that goes into the planning and preparation. But you just buy the costume. So you said I'm... I'm yeah. A- <laughs> I, like the, I like the end result. <laughs> you said you're afraid of the glue gun burns. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I am. <laughs> so that's like a thing. Like, oh girl, it's just one of them carnival burns. It's fine. Yeah, no, people who make costumes, they're like, yeah, you will, uh, you know, sticking them on, there'll be one or two times you'll catch your finger or whatever and burn yourself. Yikes. So, yeah. (laughs) That's really special. So it seems like, I don't know, as kids, as unexperienced young things, like we take a lot of things for granted, but it seems like you have come to appreciate like your roots, where you come from and the experiences that you had as a child and like have really taken those things and like run with them. Definitely, definitely. Like I always say that I missed the days when I was a child and I didn't have to pay for travel. I was just taken somewhere and it's like, oh, I've got to use my own money now, like to do all these things. I definitely, I look back and think I didn't appreciate enough, but I do, 
I do look back and think it was a good thing to have experienced. And I'm very lucky to have, because I do read stories of people who their journey with travel or their experience with it started much, much later in life. So just grateful to have been able to have those experiences as young as I did. It's so wild, the whole having to pay for our lives. I don't really understand. I know. <laughs> who I, came up with that concept? Who? Who and why <laughs> do we allow it to continue? That's the real question. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's something that you said that was really gorgeous. You said when you share something, like on social media, I think specifically, um, you said it comes back to you tenfold. Has that always been your experience? Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember I said this the other day. So it's interesting because quite often, for various reasons, like people in society, you just feel the need to like hold things really close to your chest. And there's lots of, you see lots of things like don't share, like people will steal your ideas or you never know who's watching, negative energy. There's like loads of that kind of talk. But I found like in different facets of my life, like you just share things with people. It doesn't have to be oversharing, but you could share something you're interested in, an opportunity you'd like. You just put that out there and someone will respond to it because people can't read your minds. So if they don't know that you want to do something that they make, they can maybe help you with. They can't help you if they don't know. And I shared it over something really small. I think I was giving out restaurant recommendations over on Instagram. And then like people started saying, oh, that looks really cool. Have you been here? And so it was something really, really small. But I find like more often than not, there are a lot of people out there that do like sharing. They're just kind of waiting for that opening to kind of give you advice because no one wants unwarranted advice. But once you kind of put a bit of yourself out there, yeah, people respond to it in a positive way more often than not. And and has that always been your experience? Like, have you found, because it seems like you, I don't think you've had your Twitter for very long and you've had your Instagram for quite a while, but it seems like you share kind of here and there with it. Um, but your blog is like really gorgeous. Uh, it, it reflects that minimalist style you were talking about. So, so do you find that on the platforms where you are present, that the work you put out is supported? Yeah, so I think, um, sorry, can you repeat the question again? Sorry, my brain just went off. Sorry, it was a really long rambling question, so <laughs> understandable. <laughs> I was asking if you find that the work that you put out is supported. Like when you do put something out, do you find that? people are there for you yeah I do and what's really interesting is like I'm sure many content creators get this sometimes I procrastinate sometimes I'm not sure like I work on a draft over and over again I'm like I'm not sure if it's quite perfect I don't want to put it out then I put it out and the feedback's always really positive um people often say like oh you should post more you should do more so I might have all these thoughts in my head and hold back a little bit but every time I put something out there like it's received really well. And I, I think as well, like people are genuinely looking to support people. You just need to give them something to support. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've kind of learned and grown to become a bit more comfortable with, like just putting myself out there and sharing and being vulnerable. I think that's what it comes down to, like being vulnerable in some way. Is being vulnerable like difficult for you? Um, I've, I think so. Not now or less so now, but I think it's been a journey in feeling comfortable being vulnerable. 
So it's definitely, it's still a work in progress, but I feel more comfortable doing it now than I would have done before. And that's in like all kinds of situations. That's just anything where you have to like show your hand or give your foot give your thoughts first and put yourself out there in any kind of way. I feel so much more comfortable doing it now. That's dope. There's nothing like becoming more comfortable being who you are in front of whomever. I think sometimes yes. we, we have learned, especially like when it comes to the corporate world, like what we were talking about, um, we've learned to compartmentalize ourselves. You can say this here, but you can't say that here. And so, yeah. I think sometimes that can, of course, I <laughs> I understand like the appropriateness of whatever, but it's a bit frustrating when you have to hold back who you are in order to, you know, not, not be seen as awkward or not be seen as professional or what have you. Um, yeah. So like being, being in the public eye, um, I think it can be very unfamiliar for a lot of us who are trained, like, not to share so much. Especially, like, sometimes Black families are like that, too. Like, this is our business. <laughs> this is nobody yes. else's business. Like, you don't <laughs> talk about what happens in this family. You don't talk about what happens in this house. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Congrats to you for loosening up that belt. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um. What makes what makes a really good food experience for you? Okay, so I guess the obvious is the food has to taste good. But in addition to that, I really like the ambiance. So if it's a restaurant, I love the interior, like the service, the mood, the music. Um, I kind of like a story as well. So I went to a restaurant and they had a farm that, breeds animals specifically for that restaurant and so you can read the menu and it's like oh these pigs come from this particular farmer in this particular location and we have this particular type of meat that's only provided to us and I just love that kind of story or whether it's the chef and why they started or if the restaurant supports some kind of cause so yeah that makes a good experience to me and I guess the whole discovery of it I kind of like going I like going to hotspots not because they're popular and because they're cliche. I just kind of like knowing that something, quite often these things are named really good or the best for a reason. And so I like to kind of go and see for myself and find out the reason. So whether that's the kind of $5 Michelin star meals in Singapore or somewhere Anthony Bourdain went for breakfast or like the world's first um such and such food, or even in Havana, there's a place you can go where they invented the mojito and it's like and in Singapore you go where they invented the Singapore sling and I just like that kind of story the story around something so it's like a full immersive kind of experience it's not just like the taste yeah and I think that's why I enjoy going to restaurants as well because there's it's an experience you step into an environment and you're presented with something and you experience something. And I feel like it's a great way. I love eating with people. So I always suggest to my friends, like, let's go for a meal because you can sit there, you can bond, you can experience it with each other. Oh, the taste of this, the texture of that. Like, I really liked that. Did you like it? And so, yeah, there's just so much that happens with food. It's really frustrating to me to um, not be around people who love food as much as I do. 
It's like, isn't Same. this amazing? And it's just like, because yeah, <laughs> I got to. Ooh. Same. And also the open-mindedness as well. I'm quite open with food. Mm-hmm. There are very few things that I will say never to. I'm quite open. So I'm happy to try different types of cuisine that I've never had, um, different meats. So things that are like not beef, chicken or pork. And some people are just like, no, I wouldn't. And I'm like, okay, if you wouldn't pay for it, I'll give you some of mine. But they're like, absolutely never. And I'm just like, how? Like, you're missing out on so much. (laughs) It is not logical. But I guess that's what people who are fans of stuff do. Like, if you smoke weed, that's like the best thing in life (laughs) to you. And you want everybody to smoke. If you don't drink and you're around people who drink, they want you to drink. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, how can you miss out on this experience? So, I mean, yeah, I guess that's what it is. Everyone wants to share the feeling. Yes, yes. It's like, I get so high off of this. You should too. <laughs> that's exactly it. I just think that some people's mouths are burned out. So, <laughs> that's why they can't possibly enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I saw I saw this tweet once. It was quite funny and shady as well. It's basically saying that if, you, if you're used to over seasoning your food or overcooking your food, then you lack the appreciation of going somewhere really nice where things are like delicately seasoned or like cooked medium rare. And I was like, Oop, like tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's also something to be said about like what we grow up with because like a lot of times we don't grow up with the best food, and so your palate is based off of that, right? So when you grow up and and you taste some things that are a bit more refined, you may not catch the subtleties. You may not understand the complexities of it. And you just want like a a Mars bars or like, (laughs) I don't know, like whatever junk food. No, I know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because even myself, I have a preference towards spicy food. So it takes a lot for me to appreciate something that isn't spicy. Um, So that's why I've, I like Italian a lot more now because of the fresh pasta. So it has to be fresh. There has to be something I can taste. But generally speaking, like I suggest to my friends, it's usually like Asian food because something that I know is going to be like well-seasoned. And so even then, as adventurous I am, I still have things that I gravitate towards because of what I've been influenced with growing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Asian food is bomb. So much of yeah. food is good. When I came to London, when I tell you, ma'am, if y'all don't season the fish, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you mean y'all, not you, them, colonizing <laughs> that world. Y'all went and gathered up all them spices and ain't learn learned how to use nan one. Didn't use them. How how yeah. is vinegar a seasoning? Hello? How is vinegar a seasoning? <laughs> Stop back. That's the thing. I hear lots of people say that the food was terrible in London. It's not and I'm terrible. Like, but if fish is your fucking dish i need for you to season it like you can't just batter it throw it in some oil and serve it to me and (laughs) excited about that no like typical british food i'm not the biggest fan there is one european restaurant that i love didn't think i would love it and everything is like again very delicately seasoned but i think because they source like really fresh ingredients i think they make their own butter and they make their own this it tastes really good. And because like, I remember looking at the menu and my friend invited me and I thought, I don't know what I'm going to eat from here. But I loved it. I loved it. And we spent a lot, so we definitely ate a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. It is so expensive. But not as expensive as New York. Really? 
But yeah, you earned it, the pound. The pound is absolutely higher in value than the dollar. But I felt like, so when I went to, our pound has dropped quite a bit. And when I went to New York recently, the amount of money I spent on everything, and I just thought the comparison, like if I went to a similar restaurant in London, I would spend a bit less. Like it was so expensive. Hmm. My friend was like, because you're going to all the hot spots. And I was like, oh, but it's, it's just a lot of money. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I was just like, wow. <laughs> well, yes, we could talk about that all day. I will say, um, so in America, we have what's called a pot pie, and it is the most disgraceful version. I, I'll say for a few things, even like comforters, um, wh- seeing where they originally came from, we have done a piss poor job <laughs> of translating that. Or they did, because I had nothing to do with that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like comforters and like uh, the pot pie. I had a fish pie in London that was to die for. There must have been three sticks of butter in that muffin because it was so good it was yeah. so freaking good and like the comforter like the comforters in america are like you could see through them practically <laughs> but the blankets there are just like so thick and like really they're actually warm <laughs> like it's really it was really wonderful experience because i'm a bed kind of girl i like sheets and blankets and stuff Oh, there's nothing beats a hotel. Apart from your own bed, but hotel beds are something special. Like, I don't know what sort of thread count they're using, but you slip into hotel bed sheets and the robes. Um, I'm a big fan of hotel robes. Like, I keep a mental list of where the best robes are. Like, I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, I think this is the number one now. Like, <laughs> honestly, I live in the robe. As soon as I get back to my room, robe time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. So I do see that you are a hotel girl. So um, you basically want to stay somewhere where you can get room service. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No shame in your game. Um, So where are some of the nicest, where are some of the loveliest, like most comfortable, like most luxe, a combination of the room, the hotel robe and the food? So one of my favorite places I stayed this year was in Penang, Malaysia. I stayed at the Eastern and Oriental and it was just so like that really old school classic service, like, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, etc. They had the most plushest robes ever. Like your room looks out to the sea, roll top bath, twin sinks. I was in heaven. Like I left the girls early and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and have a bath. Like, it's been fun having drinks, but I need to like enjoy my room. So that's one that I loved. Um, I also like the Ludlow in New York. I stayed there. Again, really comfortable bed, gorgeous bathroom. And the service is really good. It's like kind of laid back and a bit more chilled. Like they're there when you need them, but they're not in your face. And I used room service every night. I had the flu, so every day at like 3 a.m., I'd be like, oh, can I have some hot water? And then I'd ask for like cutlery to eat like my leftovers from dinner. And so I was just calling them all the time for things. And they, they were there in seconds. Mm. Yes, but it's not always um, fancy. I do like, um, what other hotel? There's a hotel in Singapore I stayed at, Lloyd's Inn. It's like a boutique Instagram-y hotel. It's, I think it's three-star, but it's like really, really good. I would stay there again. 
and they had an outdoor shower as well. That's probably one of my, that's my favorite, I think, favorite like budget hotel. Budget as far as Singapore goes, to be clear. <laughs> yeah, because Singapore is pretty pricey. In and of yeah, although I found it more reasonable than New York. Yeah, but it should be because Asia. Yeah. It's not like guess, Hong Kong yeah. or like a Tokyo. You know? Yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, Singapore was nice. Um, how did you like the airport? So the airport was really cool. It's really interesting that people make a big deal about the airport because I had a seven-hour layover. And the first thing I did was leave the airport because I was, it was on my way home. And I was like, oh, I could spend seven hours like watching movies and looking at the waterfall. Or I could just go into Singapore and enjoy myself. <laughs> so I ended up doing that. But I thought it was really cool and I did make use of they have like a foot massager by the gate. So I just kind of sat there as I was waiting for the gate to open. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought it was impressive. But because I didn't explore, it seemed like any other Asian or Middle Eastern airport to me. Okay. So yeah. like airports aren't really your thing then? Not really. I just kind of, to me, it's just traveling through the airport. It's just like a transit space. I mean, I appreciate ones that are really nice and they're logical, but I don't have a thing. But I have a thing for planes. I'm a tiny av geek, but airports, not so much. Oh, so you have, so do you pick your flights based off of the type of plane you'll be flying on? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So what is it? What is it about the plane that makes it special to you? Um, So you can tell a difference. Some airlines tend to have older aircraft. So that's obviously the things that you get become accustomed to are not always there or the seats and interior is old. The Dreamliner is absolutely worth flying on if you can get on it. You can tell the difference in the air quality, the tinted windows. It's a new aircraft, so generally most, it should be new in every airline you get on. It's just, it blew my mind. I flew on it like about four times last year and I was just like, this is the best aircraft ever. So I try and get on a Dreamliner or if I can get on an Airbus, depending on where I'm going, but I do, I always check, make sure I know what, um, aircraft I'm getting on always <laughs> <laughs> so you really are about that experience it's like okay how how am I getting to this country <laughs> what kind of place am yes. I going to stay when I get there what kind of room service do you check out the menus for room service when you're booking uh not necessarily I'm kind of more aware if there is room service but I don't necessarily <laughs> check um one of the weirdest things I probably have done is I found out whether or not I wanted to see what a bath looked like in a particular hotel and there weren't very good pictures on their website on TripAdvisor so I just emailed them said hey I'm interested in this particular like room type and you mentioned this bath has a particular feature like can you share a picture and they emailed me back with a, a photo so I'm always I always advocate like just contacting hotels and asking them about extra things and services so, like, what do you, so I saw you said um, you have no issue, like, sometimes you'll contact the hotel and ask them about specific things or for information, like what you just said. So, what kind of things yeah. do you request? Um, I usually request being away from the lift on a higher floor. Um, yeah, it, it kind of depends on the hotel. So, if there's particular, a particular view, things like that. 
I tend to ask for. Um, early or late check-in or check-out times. There's quite a lot of things that they offer that's not always widely advertised. So I just kind of ask. If there's something I've maybe had at another hotel before, I might ask and see if this hotel can offer it. Mm, okay. Doing her research, using her experience. Yes. <laughs> Um, how how have you chosen where you want to go? Um, so usually I do a process of checking by like where's good to travel any particular time of year. So if it's summer, I just see where's the best place to go in July or is it rainy season? I look at price. I kind of like layer all these different data points. And then I also have a list of places that I want to go to. So I always keep that in mind as well. But like how if... So, like, this is the question. Like, if you've never been to these countries, how do you know that you want to explore them? Do you mean, like, particular destinations within? Yeah. So, like, the restaurants and stuff that I choose? Not not the restaurants or the hotels, just, like, the country. How do you know you even want to step foot inside that country? So, I tend to kind of do some preliminary research. I look at, like, other bloggers. I look at different types of media and things like that. So um, I have a few, like Condé Nast, I look at them, um, Suitcase Mag, and just kind of get an idea of what sort of things the country offers. Like, what's their food like? What is there? Is it rich in culture? So museums and art galleries? Is it somewhere maybe more active and adventurous? And so I kind of piece that together with what my personal interests are. So honestly, I do travel to places that are known for the food. That tends to be like my primary thing that gets me going but also I like like nice beaches um culture something I'm really big on as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you mentioned that words of affirmation are the underrated love language you said that you don't think people really understand what it means what do words of affirmation mean to you okay so yeah I think a lot of the time it gets a lot of slack as being seen as something that needs like external validation so people constantly need to be reassured but in a negative way whereas I see it as just a way of appreciating so for example someone could appreciate you by giving you flowers they could appreciate you by like writing a card or like and for me like a thank you or verbal appreciation is just something that I like so for example if someone gave me using flowers as an example someone gave me flowers I'd be like oh this is great but then if they wrote a really cool like personal note I would love the note and it would enhance it for me and I'd probably hold on to the note forever (laughs) so that's how I kind of see it not necessarily needing validation but just yeah being affirmed but an above and beyond thing just the choice of affirming someone is showing appreciation rather than it being a negative. And yeah, people always pick on words of affirmation. I'm like, why? <laughs> so it's showing appreciation, not affirming. It's not like, oh, you're doing a great job. It's not necessarily that, but just expressing oneself. Yeah. And I think it could be you're doing a great job, but rather than needing to hear it, it's just like understanding that your efforts are being recognized. So, like, you won't die without it, but okay. you enjoy having it as above and beyond thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, talk to us about what it has been like traveling as a Black woman for you. So, I actually don't have any kind of stories where it's been a thing. 
I know quite often people talk about maybe their hair being touched and things like that. And I don't have any of those stories, but it's something I'm conscious of. So I do read other blogs and I do look at people's experiences to get an idea of how they found it and how I would be received. So I, especially when I travel on my own, I do think I try to go solo to places that have been traveled extensively so that I'm not the first of like, I'm not the first person. So they're used to solo travelers, they're used to like black people and that's where I'd feel more comfortable traveling. So it's always in the back of my mind and it's always something that I think of, but I, don't, I try not to let it hold me back. Mm, that's very interesting. So, hmm. So you're not one to, I don't know, I guess some people would look at it as like breaking barriers. Like, hey, yeah, come touch my hair. Let's do this. Like, <laughs> that's not really. See, it's good. not happened, but I definitely would not respond positively. I mean, I've had people <laughs> want to take photos of me mm-hmm. and I'm just like, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, like on the other end, have you been well received as a black woman? Yeah, I think um, one thing I've noticed that if I go to a predominantly black or if I go to a black country, everyone's like welcoming. It's like your family. And so it feels really cool. And sometimes you get like above and beyond treatment than all the other tourists because they think you're from there. They're like in Cuba. They're like, oh, you Cuban? I was like, no. And they're like, oh, like you must be Cuban. They spoke to me in Spanish. And so they, they're really inviting. And I think in other countries as well, maybe where they aren't black, but also people of color. There's also that kind of welcoming thing of like, you know, you're one of us. And so, yeah, it has its perks. Mm -hmm. Do you have any hobbies or interests that aren't necessarily about making money? Reading. I love reading. Um, Since I was a child, I've always been encouraged to read and I'd like hide away and just like read or whatever. So that's probably my biggest hobby that I have that's just it's something for me I I do bond with people over books but even if I didn't it's just something I would always do like I try to always have a book with me Mm -hmm. is uh what kind of books are you drawn to predominantly so I'm a big fan of non-fiction I like reading anything about human behavior, behavioral psychology, but I do appreciate good fiction, particularly Afrofuturism, simply because you have to use your imagination. It takes you back to childhood, like having to imagine these scientific concepts, which are so different from what you experience like day to day. So those would be the two sort of genres that I read the most. So like is Octavia Butler up there or you have... Octavia Butler, definitely. I think that might have been the first. I read Kindred, Parable yeah. of the Sower. I really liked Yeah. She's one of my favorite authors. And what else have I read that I really liked? There was one by a Caribbean author called The Midnight Robber. Uh, the author's name escapes me, but the title of the book's Midnight Robber. That's, again, another, like, fantasy, like, heavy on the fantasy. It's so cool. Really, I recommend that to anyone. So Midnight Robber, it looks like it is Nalo Hopkinson. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Do you have any specific um, self-care practices? So exercise, I would say, um, because it helps keep the stress levels down. Definitely. So that's my favorite thing. Saying no. 
um, and setting boundaries that also really helps. Sometimes you can worry about things and not meeting other people's deadlines and expectations. And so simply by saying no, being honest about what your capacity is really helps. And what else? And then I guess the the typical kind of like face mask and pampering. But I try to make a lot of the self-care practices just things that are good for me, like investing in myself, things that aren't related to material things. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that you invest in yourself? Um, you can invest in your education. You can invest in your health through like personal training, therapy. Therapy is very expensive, but it's a great investment. Um, those are probably like the top three that I can think of. But I just could even be a hobby. Like if you have an expensive hobby, mm-hmm. uh, paying for it and it makes you happy, that's an investment in yourself. Have you faced any particular challenges in your journey to publish on your blog and your journey to see other places as you are in your skin with your body and hair? Um, could you add some more context so I can like help think about <laughs> It's like even like personal challenges like for example a lot of people are like oh there's so much content out there already I'm not going to do that or they're like what do I look like traveling to Germany like have have there been any things that you've had to overcome with yourself or sometimes people find a cha- find it a challenge to uh, put the money aside for that type of travel like New York I'm not going to New York that's way too expensive um things like that sometimes family is a challenge it doesn't seem to be one for you though or friends it's just like who why like why are you doing this why why are you traveling and why are you writing about it so I guess for me luckily it's something that I would do with or without writing about it so that's quite convenient I'm not overextending myself for the purpose of an audience or you know hoping to create an audience so that helps and I think also being able to travel solo so not having the blocker of not having someone to go with or for whatever reason, whether it's their availability or their budget, going solo has definitely been the biggest thing to just like, it's limitless. If I want to go and I can afford to go, I can, and there's nothing stopping me. So I think that's learning to travel solo and doing that experience has been the learning curve in like, yeah, in like making the impossible possible. I don't know if that's a good way to phrase it, but I think that's kind of how I've counteracted that. Travelling solo eliminates 90% of those issues. Was there anything particularly challenging about giving yourself the permission to travel solo? I think there was fear, um, kind of fear of the unknown, but there was also a part of me that always wanted to do it because I always thought people who did were really cool. And I was like, oh, I want to be one of the cool kids. So I remember seeing people do it and it felt not quite out of my reach, but something I had to reach towards. So like these, they're over there and they're cool and they're traveling solo. And here I am like wanting to kind of sit with them and be part of that crowd. So it was, it was in my head really just booking it and making the commitment to do so. But there was a lot of fear, fear of, I don't know, like I've never done this before. The fear that you feel when you try something new for the first time. Um, do you have anything that helps keep you grounded? 
Yeah, I practice gratitude every day. So I do it in the morning while I'm snoozing on my alarm clock. I just say three things I'm grateful for. And I try to write down random things that I'm grateful for, like in moments where I think of it. And so that really does help because you sometimes I can't think of anything. So I'm literally as in nothing above the ordinary, but I always remind myself that, you know, I'm grateful to have a job, grateful to have a roof over my head, grateful for my family and friends. And so I like that practice. And I think also I do like material things, but I will try to remind myself that there's more than that in life. And by keeping that focus, like, you know, these things matter. These things matter. That helps me, you know. So if I'm thinking, oh, I can't go to this, like, big fancy resort because it's too expensive, I can remind myself that there's more important things in life. Mm. Gratitude is really, it, it is really grounding in that way. It helps to bring you all the way back, like, refocuses things, it, it feels like definitely and also it puts it into perspective there's an exercise I did once where you put all the letters of the alphabet you have to think of something you're grateful for starting with each letter and it really helps you like dig to the depths of your soul and find something to be grateful for with for the letter z or the letter q Um, and if it's not the name of one of your friends or family you've got to think really really hard and so that's a really enjoyable practice sometimes Mm -hmm. stretches you a little bit yeah and you start realizing that you're grateful for running water and things, all sorts of number of things, which is good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's very easy, right? It's very easy to take so much for granted, <laughs> like running water. Yeah. And not having a squat pot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even like when there's like no Wi-Fi and you're like, oh, my God, there's no Wi-Fi. But you can still use like the data from your phone. Have you... Um, you said you said the phrase too expensive <laughs> and it just like seemed like that wasn't something that you experienced. <laughs> like it seems like you just kind of like put your coins together and you take the trips that you want to take. But so that's not the reality. Like you are more strategic. So, mm-hmm. I think one thing I find, so if I want to do something and I can afford it, I will do it. And if I have to stretch my budget within reason, I will. Um, I'll never put myself in a like bad situation for something material. Absolutely not. But there are times where sometimes I'm like, this doesn't have value for me. So a trip to Europe that is over a certain price, I would consider that too expensive because it doesn't, I don't see the value in it for myself. And then there are some resorts that are like thousands of pounds a night. And I'm like, okay, that is way above me at this point in time in my life. So yeah, there definitely is a limit. Where there did, are limits out there. <laughs> where did you learn like your, um, how to be financially savvy? Like, is that something your parents gave you or you just like got on Google? Um, so yeah, my mom always encouraged me to like save, invest, put money aside and things like that. And I think also I just feel, so what I try and do, this is like, I'm terrible at budgeting. So I just automatically put money aside every month and then pay for the things I need to pay for. And then my disposable income, I spend as I see fit. And so that means if I want to enjoy restaurants or I want to enjoy shoes, I can. And I can do that comfortably knowing that I've taken care of what needs to be taken care of. Because I know I could not restrict myself to saying X number amount of money 
per day, per week. Like that would drive me insane. I just know <laughs> I have this lump sum and it has to last me until the next paycheck. And then I can spend it on whatever I want, whatever brings me joy that month, I can do it. That's really smart. I like that you said that, uh, like how it's tailored for how your mind works, how you're not trying to fit yourself into the per day budget or what have you. You know, that's one of the things I've learned as well with fitness is that you have to make things work for you because it's really easy to take loads of good advice and all these routines and it's finding what works for you. For example, paper planners do not work for me. I've bought every kind of cool, fancy journal every year to write down my goals. And I realized for me, I like to digitize things and then keep a notepad for writing some things down. But trying to keep everything written down doesn't work for me. So I just kind of tailor it to work for my mind. Even if everyone's doing the cool like bullet journals and all the different ads, I just stick with like one of my digitized apps and I do it that way. And it makes it easier. It makes things feel comfortable and not like a chore. You enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. You seem very like, I guess I would say like settled in yourself. You seem to like not be running after an idea about who you're supposed to be or how you're supposed to behave. Yeah, I definitely think all those books I've read on like, not mindfulness, I hate mindfulness, but um, books on like spirituality and different sort of concepts. I think that's definitely rubbed off on me. Um, and I probably use those kind of techniques to navigate through life. Did you ever feel that at one point in your life though? Like, hey, why, well, you, you had talked about the places that people go, like the, the popular places people go. Yeah. For a different kind of reason. That's more for comfort than for trying to be like everyone else, right? Yeah, I mean, I think... Mm -hmm. No, I was going to say, I think maybe it's like when I was like in my teens and stuff and it, you kind of think there's one way to do things. And I think as you... It comes with age, but also just experience. I don't like to say like older is necessarily wiser, but just with time, like you get to know yourself. The longer you live in your body, the more you kind of know what you like and you don't like. And then you get to a point where you feel comfortable being very clear about the things you will do, the things you won't do, the things that you like, that you dislike. Mm. That's very true. Very true. Um, do you have any song lyrics or poem that speaks to you these days? Okay, so this really made me laugh because I honestly listen to music for enjoyment. And so <laughs> I don't think I listen to anything very profound. <laughs> so like lately I've listened to a lot of, so the, the Baby's new album, <laughs> I listen to that. <laughs> um, Burner Boy, I like Burner Boy's music as well. So yeah, there's no contemporary lyrics that stand out, but I guess maybe something classic. Lauren, the miseducation of Lauren Hill. I think that's filled with some incredible lyrics that are quotable. Mm -hmm. But yeah, nothing contemporary. <laughs> and when you read, like there are no, there are no um, poems, no poets that you enjoy. Like you're most oh, nonfiction, and I've yeah. never got into poetry. It yeah. goes way over my head. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine that. Maybe it's just not the format, but I, I doubt it. Goes. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can get into like poet, the poetry of lyrics or like the kind of poetical nature, but actual poems, yeah, it goes over my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
let me see. So it seems like you are, are generally based in London and then you just mm -hmm. travel as you're able to. Yes. It's like time off and stuff and budget. Okay. Is there any specific way that listeners can support your work? Um, so that could be like social media connect or on your blog if you have a specific piece of content. Yeah, um, so both. Um, so I am at Meg Fabulous on Instagram, M-E-G-F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S. So I was thinking of like the rapper and he spells it differently. I always have to remind myself. Um, and also MegFabulous.com. So you can like read the content, comment. I love feedback. I love engaging with people as well. Um, if you want recommendations, I'm always happy to share what I know. If you have recommendations for me, I'm happy to receive that. In fact, shall I repeat that? Because I kind of fumbled the words. <laughs> I have it. It's M-E-G-F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S. Meg Fabulous. Yes. And I'll have a link so that they don't have to rewind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you. You are an absolute delight, Megan. Thank you so much for it was being here. It's a pleasure speaking to you. <laughs> My pleasure. So you take good care and we will see you out in these internet streets. Thank you. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>